Hello folks, welcome back, and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into this week's show, I want to talk about what it means to be a high-performance human. Contrary to popular belief, it has not much to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it's got everything to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, work habits, and so much more. And if these are areas you'd like to improve upon, then we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a few clients, and Beth, my wife, who is a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered, and you can find contact details in the show notes below. And now for this week's show. Over the years, I've had some properly inspirational people on the show, and today's guest falls squarely into that category. Back in 2012, Sue Reynolds weighed 335 pounds. That's just over 150 kilograms, and she couldn't even tie her own shoelaces. She was about as far away from being a triathlete as one can be. And her first exercise session amounted to a 100-yard walk to a neighbor's driveway and back, supported by her husband, and which left her exhausted and flat out on the sofa. One year later, she'd lost almost 60 pounds, entered the first triathlon, still weighing 280 pounds, and finished. So imagine the courage that that took, not just to do the training, but also to enter the race. She continued on her journey, exercising regularly and eating real food. And today she weighs in at 135 pounds. That's a loss of over 200 pounds. And she has two triathlon world titles to her name. This is a story of courage, inspiration and hope to discover the athlete inside. So let's crack on and hear from Sue. Hello and welcome to the show, Sue Reynolds. Hello, so nice to be here and to meet you, Simon. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you joining me as well. Um, you came recommended to me by some other friends of mine at Precision Fuel and Hydration. And I read your inspirational little story and I've heard a little bit more about you since then and had a had a little bit of a, a nosy through your, your book, um, oh. Precy. So uh, yes, uh, I'm excited to hear about your life. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, so let, let's let's start. Let's tell people why the folks at Precision Hydration suggested that I should chat with you. Um, the headline for their little blog piece was that you went from over three hundred pounds, weighing over three hundred pounds, to racing in the triathlon world championships. And I mean, that's an amazing story. Just losing three hundred, going from three hundred pounds to what people folks might call a normal average adult female weight is an amazing story but the fact that you converted yourself to being a triathlete and then raced at the world championships has taken it a few steps further so that's that's a that's a huge journey I think we need to dig into <laughs> that's it sometimes it's like a huge journey to me too like sometimes I look back and just shake my head and think how did that happen <laughs> so so yeah it's I feel very very blessed um to one to have a life that's um, more healthy and to have all the benefits that come with fitness and with a smaller body size, but two, to be able to have discovered the triathlon community and mm. to have progressed from finishing dead last at local triathlons to, to I, last year I won two, won two world championships. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a journey to say the least. 
Yeah, and I guess that the journey you've come on is so huge. It must be almost like standing on top of Mount Everest and looking right down into the valley where you first started walking up. It's just something something that you need binoculars to see how far you've travelled. <laughs> it's it's been a long way, that's for sure. Well, let's rewind then. Um, you were over three hundred pounds. Um, I guess triathlon wasn't even on your radar then. Um, what what was the what was the catalyst for? getting started on losing weight because I guess that uh, when you get to that weight and I used to have quite a lot of personal training clients who who had weight issues and they were always on this I need to lose weight I need to lose weight but they never actually got the traction to keep it all going yeah yeah so I think that the initial catalyst everyone always thinks oh you know were you facing an illness they they think there was something Mm -hmm. catastrophic that happened that all of a sudden you know made me want to have a different lifestyle but for me, it was it was just um, I just got really tired of being obese. Um, there were so many things I couldn't do because of my fitness, but there were even more things that I couldn't do because of my size. For example, at work, if we had a business meeting that was over lunch, I had to just cross my fingers that we didn't sit in the booth because I was so big I couldn't fit in the booth. Yeah. Um, and then the worst was I my I carried a lot of weight in my abdomen and my stomach, and I was so big that I couldn't reach my feet. I couldn't reach around my stomach to get to my feet. So every morning I had to ask my husband to put my socks on for me and to put my shoes on for me, and I just hated that. And and I think just I'm not really even sure why this day was any different, but just one day I just sat at the breakfast table in front of my waffles and maple syrup and and just said enough and i i remember as i'm talking to you about this i have my hands up you know like i'm pushing the food away mm. it was like enough and i just decided on that day to start making different choices and um i think the, the my my first goal was to be able to put on my socks and so yes triathlon was nowhere anywhere you know even close to my thinking um, so yeah, it was just that, that put on my socks. What year are we talking about then when, when you had this sort of, um, epiphany <clears throat> moment? Yeah. So it's that moment was in 2010. Um, and I started on a, um, a journey where I lost weight by counting points. And <laughs> how I did that was that I was successful with that system However, the way I did it was that I ate all of my points for breakfast, so I was still eating waffles and maple syrup, but I just wouldn't eat the rest of the day. And oh, wow. so, yeah, so my my calorie intake was was less, so I lost weight. Mm-hmm. But for me, that wasn't sustainable. And two years later, I gained almost all of the weight back, mm-hmm. and then decided that I needed to approach weight loss differently. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, well, sometimes I look back and I think, well, this different about this time than, I mean, I probably had been on 50 diets all my life and had failed every one of them, always gained the weight back plus 10% more. And I think this time the difference was I didn't look at it as a diet. Um, uh. I think it's more of a mindset shift that, cause diets are things that you start and you end. Uh-huh. And I started looking at weight loss as just a lifestyle change, something I was going to do the rest of my life. So I had to find a, a system for me that was something I could sustain, for, you know, forever. 
and eating waffles for breakfast and then not eating the rest of the day was not something that was going to sustain. So, so yeah, so I started again in 2012. So um, then it took three years to take the weight off and I've, I've kept it off, you know, since then, since 2000, 2015 ish. Wow. That's, that's quite amazing really. And, and, you know, I recognize that, that whole story of lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. In fact, it's, it's, um, it's very articulately written about this whole process and the physiological changes and things that happen within the body in a book called Why We Eat Too Much. I don't know if you've read that oh, book. It's by yeah. a, a British surgeon who does um, gastric band surgery and was just alarmed at the number of people who would come into his clinic and say, look, I've been on uh, very similar to your story. I've tried every diet under the sun and some of them I've done twice and I've lost weight, but then I, I just no matter how disciplined I am, my body seems to crave food and I can't stop myself putting on weight. And he, he, he sort of, his research came around to this idea that we have a set point and your body wants you to, you, you've sort of put a famine around the body and it wants to get back to where it was. And so it forces you to overeat and, um, you know, back to your point then about the way you approached it in 2012 is that you have to see it as a long-term thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it has to be done by, not a short-term fix which is what mm -hmm. most diets are and I, and I totally agree with you about that word diet is is really just something that has a very defined start and end and when you've achieved your weight then you'll go back to eating like you were and 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 just keep your fingers crossed that you can stay at this new weight and of course you know time and again it's proven that, that doesn't happen so uh, yeah. um it's, in fact Einstein would say that's madness wasn't it because around the world people are trying <laughs> right. the same thing over and over again and getting the same result right right I think the other mindset shift for me at that point was that I was ready to just say diets don't work for me. Mm -hmm. And um, but then something just clicked in my head and I thought, you know, if if you if you say that you're going to be accepting that you're going to be obese for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if one thing doesn't work, then try something else. And so I knew the point system that wasn't going to work for me, although it's a wonderful system that works for lots of other people, just wasn't working for me. Um, and so I just said, okay, let's try something else. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to try something else. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to try something else. So it was just this attitude of not giving up that in trying whatever it took over and over again until I found something that did work for me. And so you mentioned the yo-yo dieting. Is that how you ended up where you were? There must have been a point where you were you, you what you call a reasonable weight, but felt like you need to lose some, and then it just sort of spiraled out of control from there. Is that right? Yeah, that I think had something to do with it. That certainly contributed to it. Um, I think for me, the my the, the what reason I gained the weight. Um, I was. It had been a little bit overweight most of my life, but my weight didn't really blossom until I was out of college and into the world of work. Uh -huh. And I loved my job. Um, I was working, I founded a nonprofit that helps raise student achievement, especially for lower income kids. And we were very successful. And I was just so motivated to do that work that I did a lot of all-nighters, like uh -huh. two or three all-nighters a week. And what I found was, is that at one or two in the morning, 
when I was just exhausted that if I ate, I stayed awake. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to, you know, at two in the morning to start, you know, eating lots of M&Ms or two dozen cookies or whatever, just to stay awake. And then because I was tired, my willpower also went down. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just it was kind of a, a cycle of eating, getting tired, eating some more, getting tired. Um, and I think, I think that, well, as I like to say, as the nonprofit grew, so did my waistline. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, so, you know, I was, I was very much not the stereotypic obese person. Um, and I really kind of ruffles my feathers a lot when I hear people talk about the stereotype of obese people as being people who have a lot of issues and they're trying to eat them away and, you know, they don't have self-discipline. I had tons of self-discipline. I had tons of self-respect you know, it was just that my self-respect came from my work and the good that I was doing for other people and not so much in my appearance. And it was, I think, in all the diets that failed, and, and this was an important point that I learned, those diets were, I was doing those diets to satisfy what society said a an attractive person should look like. Mm-hmm. So I'm always dieting for someone else, you know, because my family wanted me to be thin or because society told me that thin people were more attractive or whatever. And it really wasn't until I said enough, I want to be able to tie my shoes. And it and and it was internal. The motivation was internal. Mm. Then I was I was then successful at at the the the, the weight loss. And I know you said that there weren't any medical issues that were the catalyst but I guess that you were probably having a medical regularly and that the doctors were telling you well this isn't good for your blood pressure or your heart or you know all sorts of other things yeah that that was also a a yeah but that I gave myself and I've Mm -hmm. discovered that um anytime I hear myself self-talk it starts with the words yeah but I need (laughs) to look at what comes next Mm -hmm. Uh, my blood pressure was always low Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah, but you're a healthy, obese person. And I totally did not understand all the other health um, factors that go with obesity. I just assumed that since my, um, my blood pressure was low, I was, you know, I was a healthy, obese person. So I didn't need to lose weight. Um, yeah. And, and people like my children would tell me, especially one of my sons, uh. one of my son's he finally just looked me in the in the eye and said, um, he said, Mom, you're gonna die. And 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 even that didn't I thought, no, I'm not, my blood pressure's low. But but it broke my heart that he thought sure, I was yeah. that he was so concerned about me. But but even then it was just I thought, I don't know, it was just I really needed to make it internal. And when I wanted to put on my socks, that that was you know, that was the motivation that, that made me, I think, be able to stick with it when when it was late at night and there were a dozen cookies sitting in front of me. <laughs> tough. Tough for anybody. <laughs> yes. So it took you three years to get from what, – what, what was your starting weight? I mean, what was the highest weight you ever saw on the scales? Yeah, I, I started at 335 pounds, um, and then I got down to 135. So – then that was kind of another, you know, so as I'm ta- as we're chatting, I'm thinking so much of this was mindset shift. And I started thinking about losing weight in a healthy way. And 
And I was, you know, everything I read said, if you lose one to two pounds a week, you know, that that's, you know, you don't want to go on a crash diet. You just want to go steady over long-term. But then I started thinking, I lost two pounds a week and there's 52 weeks in a year. I could lose 104 pounds Uh in a year. Uh And, and that, and I thought, can I, can I keep this up for a year? You know, I thought if somebody held a gun to my head and said, if you, you know, if you don't, if you don't keep this up for a year, I'm going to blow your brains out. Would you do it? I thought, yeah, you can do this. So I think just thinking that of what was possible over the long term um, and that there are no quick fixes and that it took, you know, 40 years to put on the weight Uh and it's going to come off, you know, overnight and, so yeah, so the first year I lost a hundred pounds, I just stuck with it. And then it, you know, it just became such a habit and so routine that the the next year I took off um another, I think 75, and then the last 25 came off in the third year. I I, I love that analogy there about no, you know, no quick no quick fixes and it's for the long term because it, it needs to be the mindset needs to um, develop habits, doesn't it? I don't know if you've read Tiny Habits or oh, yeah. Atomic Habits, uh, yeah. and those are all about habit stacking and creating behaviors and behavioral change and looking at it for the long term. And I, I do think, you know, from when I had my personal training business, that people would come in and they would say, well, I need to lose 50 pounds for a wedding in a, a few weeks. And I, I, <laughs> I, I sort of snapped one day. Um, uh, with one lady and I just said well why don't you chop your arm off then or your leg because that'll be a quick fix and she said well that's stupid and I went yeah but you started it by coming in with this ridiculous goal and she was totally flabbergasted by my response like, but, but but then what are you going to do when you've lost the 50 pounds you're going to go to the wedding you're going to put on that dress that you want and then what are you going to do and she said well I'll carry on eating how I was and I'm like, but that's how you've ended up in this situation and we had quite an uncomfortable conversation for both of us but in the end you know, I said, well, what about if you just get on the pathway now and you can lose 10 pounds by the time of this wedding? But then if you carried on so that the 50 pounds was permanent, she said, mm-hmm. I've never I've never thought about it like that. And that, that was another astounding revelation that people never think about. Well, I'm 40 now, but what will I be like when I'm 41? I just want to know what I'm going to be like at 40 in two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that that's just part of our society is that we always are thinking that there's quick fixes and there's not. I mean, in so many areas, there's not quick fixes. You just do one little step at a time over a long period of time. And they have to, they have to take time. We, um, we had a, we had a sports psychologist deliver a course I was teaching recently. And, um, she said, look, real habits take 60 days to be set in stone to, mm-hmm. so that they, so that they're able to, you're able to continue with them when you're under pressure. So if you're trying to learn a new swim stroke or uh, improve your swim stroke, you can probably get that new swim stroke within three weeks, but to be able to perform it in race conditions, when there's people bumping you, that, that takes a bit longer. And so you, you've just got to get to be master the process, haven't you? And I think that's where people lose patience is like, I haven't got time with that. I just want to swim fast an hour. I want to lose weight now instead of just doing things simply and mastering a process. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, in triathlon, I always like to think three years out. Mm. So I always ask myself, you know, where do I want to be three years from now? And then what do I have to do today yeah. in order to start that journey? So I don't know if you've, uh, well, you might have listened to a, a guest I had on recently, Gordo Byrne. Um, and Gordo has this thing now. He's just coming back to triathlon. He, he competed in the elite 20 years ago, and then he 
took time off to help his wife raise the children. And now he's getting back into it at the age of 55. And he's talking about his thousand day plan, which is exactly what you're talking about. Three, oh, years. No, three years. So so it doesn't matter if I err and stray off the path tomorrow uh, um, because over a thousand days, that one aberration isn't isn't really going to make a big difference. Uh, oh. So if I if I have a pizza tonight, you know, as long as the other 999 days are fine, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and that was another thing that I did differently as I think about this and this, this time that was helped me be successful was that in past diets, if I went off the wagon for a day and had ate, ate an entire pizza, um, the next day, then I wouldn't eat at all. And now what I tell myself, if I go off plan is just like, okay, just go back on plan. I'm not trying to make up for what I did. I'm just, you know, just get back to where you want to be. So Yes, that that again back to that mindset about well I've gone off plan so it's all it's it's all a waste of time now I'm just going to give yeah. in is <laughs> is like you know if you were if you were driving your car and you took a wrong turn uh-huh. you don't you don't stop the car and take the get out of the car and throw the keys over the hedge and then just sit there with your arms folded <laughs> in tears do you you just do a U turn and get back on the route straight away and so that's what we would do without any upset or emotion but in any other part of our life if we take a wrong turn and something goes wrong you know we all we all just get a bit bit emotional yeah. about it um, and it doesn't make any sense that's a, that's a great analogy i love it okay so uh, was being careful about what you eat um your only approach you know was it was it and i, I guess it wasn't calorie counting was it actually that i'm, I'm I'm not doing very well here, am I? Because I'm asking you several questions with different answers. Let's talk about your nutrition. Okay. Calorie counting didn't work and scoring points didn't work. Did you just focus on eating healthy, real food? Yeah, I did. Um, Right. In the start, I went to the recommended diet for the American Diabetes Association, which is just all whole foods. You don't leave out any food groups. You just eat healthy. And basically, that's what I did. I call it a whole whole foods approach. And um, I just started really looking at the eating healthy foods. So and, and you know, you're talking about habits. I mean, today, an apple is ex- as exciting to me as a chocolate bar was, you know, before I started this. And um, yeah, so it's just it's just whole foods and just eating sensibly and you know, a lot of times people say, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're wonderful. You lost 200 pounds. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just eating like a normal person would eat you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> or, a, a, you know, a healthy person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just, just a whole foods, nothing special. I just ate healthy. Okay. So now I've, now I've clarified my own thoughts. My next question is, <laughs> were there any other parts of this approach? You know, did you start exercising? Um, were you lifting weights? Yeah, I I started with with just with exercise because I knew that um, exercise would help to speed up the the weight loss. Um, and you know, it's one of the messages I want to bring across is that you can exercise when you're obese. I always thought since I weighed 325 pounds that there was no way mm-hmm. I could exercise. Um, my family had been nagging me like crazy to walk or to do something and. Um, and there was one day that my husband said, let's go for a walk. And I had told him no, like a million times. And for some reason on this one day, I said, okay. And, and I'm like majorly obese and 
I mean, it was, it was walking was really hard. So I'm standing at the back door and I'm remembering, I remember thinking, what have I agreed to do? And I'm, 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 it was so difficult to walk that I had my arm in his arm. And I'm, I think he like was carrying half of my weight for me. And we just walked to the neighbor's driveway and back. And that was about a hundred meters altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, and it was just, I mean, I had to stop several times along the way and rest because it was just so hard. And I remember coming back and getting home and laying, falling back on the couch. I was just exhausted, but I was, I was covered with sweat but it wasn't sweat from like the heat. It was sweat from exertion. And I just, I just thought, oh my gosh, you exercised. And I mean, I, I still, I'm, as I'm sharing this, I'm wanting to tear up. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just such an incredible feeling to have exercised, even though all I did was walk hundred meters. Um, and to this day, I learned that on that day, I learned that sweat is like a trophy you know, that that's what I earn when I, when I do hard, when I work hard. And so, I mean, sometimes when I, when I started this journey, I would, um, when I was on the, my, my training bike, my turbo, I would even count the drops of sweat that came off and to see if I could set a new record for sweat drops. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> so, so yeah, so I started an exercise journey and I discovered that walking worked for an obese person um, I started, I, I wanted some variety, so I took a water aerobics class. Um, and then after class, I just got curious if I could swim a length and I thought I would drown. So I did it with a kickboard. So if I got in trouble, I could hold on to the kickboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but just started, you know, swimming a little bit. And then each each day after class, I would try to swim one more length than I had the the class previous. So did that. And then I discovered that I hated exercise. I mean, it's so boring. So in my mind, I made up this little story that I was training for a triathlon. And I I never thought I would do one. I was just like playing pretend that I was training and and it gave purpose to the exercise. So now there's a big difference in, for me between exercise and training. Training has purpose to it and it you know makes me want to keep engaged and so, yeah, so I never thought I would do a triathlon, but, I, but then I figured, okay, I'll do a spin class. At least that I'll have all three disciplines. And um, and then one day I realized that I was doing the distances of a sprint triathlon and all I had to do was put them together. Wow. So I signed up for a sprint. I didn't tell anyone because I was sure that I would back out or not finish and I didn't want to be embarrassed, but, but then I did it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was wonderful. So when folks are dieting they often count in calories and then uh, again there's there's a i think the the experts on weight loss will tell you it's a bit of a myth about calories in equals calories out and i know that i used to see people at the gym that would sort of you could see them looking at the calorie meter and think well i've eaten that mars bar or that snickers bar now i'm going to walk until i see 400 calories and now i've burnt off what i've eaten and it you know the metabolism doesn't quite work like that um did you have that mindset to begin with or were you exercising because you understood that actually movement was another way of um, of sort of um, heating up your metabolism and that would be a good thing in, in the long term? I think I kind of had that, the, the first mindset that you talked about and that I, I knew that or I thought that um, that if I exercised, that would burn calories. So there was, you know, some, mm. I was 
using calories that way, but I never tried like to equal the calories I was mm-hmm. eating. I never thought, oh, if I exercise this long, that would equal this number of calories. I just knew that there was some kind of relationship mm-hmm. uh, between exercise and, and and weight loss. And really, I was so unfit that I, I really couldn't exercise more than 20 minutes, even if I had wanted to. So were you um were you sporty as a child, Sue? I was not. And um that's an kind of been of interest to me too in looking back over my my whole journey when I was young I mean I I'm I'm 70 I race as a 70 year old now so I was in school in the 1950s and 1960s and they didn't have sports for Mm. girls then Mm -hmm. Um, I can remember the in in our physical education classes that the boys would be taken to the gym to play basketball, but the belief was that basketball was too strenuous for girls and that we would we would injure ourselves. And I remember my mother telling me that girls, if that if I did sports, that no boy would ever love me, and that I you know I might ruin my reproductive organs if I participated in sports. And so it just we just didn't have sports when when I was young and. So I really, I didn't discover, you know, sports until age 60. And I think that there's probably a lot of women out there who have athletes hiding inside of them, um, like I did, who just don't know it because they never had the opportunities. So I'm always saying to older women, you know, there may be an athlete in you. <laughs> you know, let's Why not try? <laughs> so, but yeah, that was a shock to me, one, that I like sports and then the other part was that I there's I'm kind of a soft-spoken, gentle person, I think, in real life. And but man, when I when I'm competing, there's a monster inside of me that a beast that I did not know was there. So yeah, that was the other surprise. I'm not sure if you've ever come across Phil Maffetone. He wrote a book called Everyone's <laughs> an Athlete. And I picked this book up oh, about when I first started out on my triathlon coaching journey. So with let's say 20 years ago, probably 30 years ago. And I read it and I remember thinking, oh, he was talking then about his math heart rate thing and very low heart rate training. And, you know, and I'm a great fan of this now. And I've done quite a few podcast calls with Dr. Maffetone. But back then I remember thinking this is all jiggery pokery, hocus pocus. I'd put the book at the back of the uh, of the uh, bookshelf and didn't read it again. And since I've gone back to it, uh, um, yeah, I, I realize now what, what pathway he was on there. But I've talked to folks who don't consider themselves to be athletic and say to them, look, but you go running every, you go running twice a week to keep fit. That means you're an athlete. You are an athlete. And I, I, your, your book's called the athlete inside. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I feel like everybody has got some bit of athleticism inside them for something, whether it's ballroom dancing, which is just as athletic as playing ice hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was really strange for me to think of myself as an athlete. Um, on the morning that I was, that according to the U.S. government, I was no longer overweight, which mm-hmm. was 166 pounds for my height. On the morning that I hit 165 pounds, I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, who the heck are you? Because I had always been the obese person Mm. and I just didn't have an identity anymore. I mean, it was just like, I, I was, I was just kind of lost. And at, at that point I was working with a coach, my first coach. And he said, well, yes, you have an identity. You're an athlete. And I kept fighting him. I I'd say, no, I'm a pseudo athlete or I'm an athlete wannabe. And, 
And, but he said to me exactly what you just said, you know, you exercise every day, you're, you're training for an event, you have a coach, you are an athlete. Um, but I had to, I, I put a big sign on my mirror <laughs> that said, you are an athlete. And every morning I would say that to myself until I got comfortable with the idea that, that, yeah, we can all be athletes. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Mm. Um, just let me go back to this period when you started exercising. I know for folks that are obese, um, when they even start walking slowly, their heart rate goes right up. So you you pretty quickly end up being anaerobic, don't you? And, it, and it's sort of like aerobic when you're stationary, anaerobic. So th- that, that must have been a huge thing to get over as well when you're breathing so hard just by walking slowly and thinking, well, this can't be good for me. This this must be unhealthy because my heart's under a lot of strain. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever have any concerns around that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even starting exercise, I I was scared to death that I was going to cause myself to have a heart attack. And Uh um, I had talked to my doctor and, you know, the doctor said, you're good to go. Walking's fine. And um, but, you know, I mentioned it, even walking the 100 meters to my neighbor's driveway, I had to stop a couple of times. And Uh and I think that's what I've learned to do just just intuitively is that when my heart rate felt like it I was just over you know it was just like <laughs> so high it was just to stop and rest and you know I mm-hmm. still do that now in training of course I do interval training where you push hard and then you rest and then mm-hmm. you push because you can't keep that effort up for a long time and yeah it was and you know it's interesting too I think unless you've been just hugely obese I think it's hard to imagine what it's like to exercise as an obese person mm-hmm. and what the the way I like to explain it is like I was 200 pounds overweight. If you can imagine, you know, taking, I don't know how many, if you can imagine like a, a gallon of milk weighs eight pounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was carrying what 20 gallons of milk on my body. And, you know, I, I say to people, can you imagine, or, or can you imagine going into the grocery store and picking up, you know, 10, um, 20 pound bags of ice? And then trying to carry them all at once back to your car. And people are going like, there's no way I could carry, you know, 20 pounds of ice. And that's what it was like. That's what it's like for an obese person to exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, in my first 5K, I walked it, um, thinking that I was not an athlete. And based on what I know now about heart rate zones, I I know that that was the hardest event I ever did was walking that first 5K. And I know my heart rate was at threshold the whole way. Um, and yeah, so, but, but I just learned to, you know, take little breaks. And even in my first triathlon, I mean, someone said to me, it's one is not about racing. It's just about, you know, the big thing. And what I like to tell people is the big thing is getting across the start line. And to me, that's the best celebration. I tell people to celebrate crossing that start line because you had to conquer fears and have courage and mm. you know and, and have vision of yourself you know doing a triathlon to do that and to me that's the biggest celebration is crossing the start line but then someone said to me you don't have to be fast you know, said, if you get tired in the run just sit down and take a rest you know or and, and I literally I had a picnic in my first transition <laughs> <laughs> and I brushed my hair and because I wanted to look pretty on the bike and you know, so you don't have to be fast. You just take it at your speed. And if you get tired or winded, just rest. So, yeah. Well, before we started recording this call, we talked about ego, didn't we? 
and the, okay. the sort of relationship between athletes and coaches. But I feel like there's a there's also a relationship between the athlete and their own ego. And sometimes the ego the ego gets in the way and causes us to do things or or have behaviours that perhaps aren't the healthiest. Um, just for our mental health, you know, because we we force ourselves to do something, and then when when we don't meet our expectations, then we get really really angry with ourselves for sort of letting ourselves down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, or we don't do things because our ego mm. gets away. And that was more the case for me that um, I developed in that first triathlon. I developed two mantras that I, I still carry with me 10 years later. One is um, go away fear. Um, I was scared to death in that triathlon. And I learned to like in my mind, I'm imagining this glass piece of glass and large piece of glass, like a glass window in front of me. And I think I'm putting my fear on the other side of that glass and I'm not going to let it touch me. And then I'm on this side of the glass. And so I just, I'm, I will not be controlled by my fear. The fear has to stay on the other side of the glass. So, you know, I think everybody has fears and I certainly have fear. It's just then having the courage mm. to put that that fear on the other side of the glass and take the steps that you want to take. So, mm-hmm. and for me, that mantra, go away fear, that just kind of says it all and reminds me that I do not want to be controlled by my fear. And then the other one is go away pride. And I tell you, my first triathlon, I mean, I still, I think I weighed 285 pounds. I was still like morbidly obese. And very self-conscious. I I love swimming, but I hadn't swum for years because I didn't want anybody to see me in a bathing suit. Mm. And so here I am in a race with 400 people. I have to be in my bathing suit in front of everybody. So I I brought my bathrobe with me and I wore my bathrobe over my bathing suit until the very last minute. And then I took it off and, you know, I had planned to like walk the six feet to the water and then quickly be underwater where people couldn't see me. (laughs) <laughs> but as I took my robe off, I turned and there's the event photographer right in front of me taking pictures of me in my bathing suit. And it was mm. just like, and my mind is screaming, screaming, go away, pride, go away, pride, go away, pride. <laughs> so, but yeah, so go away, fear and go away, pride. And I think, you know, both of those are ego driven. I mean, it's a fear of failure it's a fear of embarrassment. Um, mm. Yeah. And just, you know, just telling myself to not let my ego drive my my actions. So I think I tried to ask you this. Maybe I wasn't articulating very well. Um, I'm a strength coach, and I know you've uh-huh. done some work with yeah. Matt Pendola as well. Uh-huh. And Matt's a strength coach. And there's obviously a big there's a big relationship with, between metabolism and building muscle. Um, at any time, were you encouraged to start lifting weights? And and that, I know for a lot of people that will be counterintuitive because you think, well, if I build weights, I'll build muscle and so I won't lose weight. But actually muscle burns fat, doesn't it? And so it's actually a great yeah. help. And, of course, as we're getting older, we need to try and replace or maintain the muscle mass that we're, we're naturally losing through less activity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when I when I decided to do triathlon seriously, um, and which for me meant my another mantra it was no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. Um, at that point, I uh, asked my coach to train me as though I were an elite triathlete, even though I was still morbidly obese. 
Um, and to his credit, he said yes, and he started me on a, a, a strength program at, at that point. So that was like in year three. Um, it was a traditional, you know, get in the gym and lift weights. And in the um, in the off season, we did heavy weights. In in season, we did um, more, more reps of lighter weights. Mm. So yeah, so I've always done. I I, I do strength training three times a week now. I've always thought that that, you know, that that was just part of it, you know. So, you know, we think of triathlon as being swim, bike, run, but it's swim, bike, run, strength, nutrition, recovery. Yeah, Yeah, it it is. And I think when I first started out on my triathlon coaching journey, that's I used to have that mindset as well. But I think I've probably gone, you know, half circle now not full circle but half circle and look at it the other ways firstly i'm coaching a human being right, right. And, and we aren't always going to be athletes but we're always going to be humans we're always going to be somebody's partner somebody's son uh, son or daughter somebody's mother or father and we still have to operate as a human being even if we're not participating in events and having good functional strength so that you can lift and carry and you know, lifting even one bag of ice out of the shop and taking it to your car, not, not your own body weight, but still we've got to be able to do those things and they become more challenging as we get older. And so I have conversations with triathletes regularly who say, well, how's this going to improve my triathlon performance? I don't know, but I tell you, it's going to improve your human performance, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's going to improve your human performance as you get older. And so that's a good reason. Yes, but there's no evidence that lifting heavy weights will improve, make me run faster. I'm like... I know, but if you can't lift you if you can't lift your own body weight out of the chair, you're not going to be able to do any running. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Right now, I'm working on my run, and you know, part of the run is getting a little bit of well, when all those years that I was obese, I I literally couldn't do anything but shuffle, mm-hmm. and so now my run is kind of a shuffle, and I'm having to learn to get a little bit of vertical oscillation and. Um, and yeah, if I don't have strength, I can't get myself off the ground. So mm. that's important. And then for me, in terms of lifestyle, I love the mobility part of it. Um, yeah. you know, it's strength and mobility. And I, I love that I can balance and that I can, you know, bend over and pick something up off the ground or get down on the ground and play with my grandkids, you know, just, just all the stuff that I couldn't do before I started the journey and, and strength and mobility, but that's a big part of it. Mm. Amen to that. Yeah. I might, I might, I might chop that bit out and uh, use that in social <laughs> media because it's exactly the sort of messaging that I'm uh, constantly, constantly sharing with people. Having a different voice saying it will be a pleasure for most people. Um, so you, you talked about having a um, a tri coach. Uh, did you have any other coaches that were part of your life then? Did you have a nutritionist? Did you have a life coach who was working on your mindset? Um, at that point, I started out with one coach um, when I started that I worked with for eight years, and we had a just a wonderful coach athlete relationship. Um, I did bring in when I got to the point where I needed to start thinking about stopping losing weight, um, which was really scary because every other time I had stopped a weight loss nutrition plan, I just mm. went back. So I started working then with a, um, a sports performance uh, dietitian, um, and so I kind of had that part of the team. Um, since then, um, for the last 
three or four years, I've worked with several coaches and at one point have worked with a coaching team of mm-hmm. uh, Jim Vance and Matt Pendle and Bobby McGee. Mm-hmm. And and that was, I really like that approach um, in a way because um, it's, you know, everybody brought their expertise to the table and the three of them worked together so well. It was very low ego. Um just you know it was all about the vision of me being faster and what role was everybody going to play including me um to in order to get that speed so we each had our 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 tasks to do and um yeah i think that was a really good approach um i'm now working with uh darren smith daz uh, from australia as a coach and but he's brought in um in a few weeks i'm going to um uh, Boulder, Colorado, to work with a coach there to that he wants to eyeball my technique and then to work with him. So, um, so yeah, I think I think the I think a really successful approach to anything in life is to mm-hmm. surround yourself with the the best people, and then you know to to list do a lot of listening and and to just be part of that team. So I really like the team approach a lot. Losing weight is an amazing, amazing transformation, but it doesn't come without its problems, does it? You've you've mentioned about what well, what happens when I've reached my goal weight, and then you know all of that fear about gaining the weight. But also, particularly as you've pretty much half your own, you're, you're less than half your size now, um, yeah. and with your weight there, um, skin stretches. So, d- did you have any problems with excess skin yeah. as a result of the weight loss? You know, that's, I'm so glad you asked that um, because it's the question that so many people have and uh, very few people have the courage to ask me because they're afraid of, you know, embarrassing me or whatever. But, but, um, but yeah, I have some excess skin, um, but it's not like, like there's those TV shows about the biggest loser and you mm-hmm. see just, or you see pictures on the internet of people that have just these but what I found is that when when you see pictures of people where they have these bulges and bulges of of excess skin, what you're really seeing is a person who hasn't lost all their weight yet, and okay. you're seeing the skin stretching over some of their their the, the fat cells that they're still carrying. What I've found is that skin is actually really thin. If you pinch the back of your hand, that's how thin skin is. And once I lost the weight. The excess skin that was still there. I mean, under clothes, you can't tell that it's there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. And then again, it's all about perspective. So, I the one story that I love. I was sitting on the couch with my granddaughter, who was maybe three at the time, <laughs> and um, and I was trying to reinforce the fact that she has a natural habit of saying nice things to people, and she had just said, "Grandma." I love your pink shoes. And I, I said, Harper is, I said, it's so nice that that you find good things to say to people. It makes them feel, you know, good when you do that. And she was rubbing my arm at the time. And she said, Grandma, I love your flappy arms. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I decided it's all about your perspective. You know, to a three-year-old, flappy arms are a lot of fun. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I just thought, thought you know, I so I have flappy arms. Big deal. I I have my health, and that's much more important to me than than anything else. So yeah. 
you know what you were saying about uh, your first triathlon where you came last, dead last. But I, I again, this perspective is really important here, isn't it? Because even to do a triathlon means you're in a, a, a quite a stratospheric a stratospheric group of people that have, uh, and you talked about the the journey to the start line and how that's that's success in itself. Because in order to get to the start line, you have to make a certain amount of commitments, don't you? Uh, against yeah. a whole a, a whole raft of things that might be against you, like um, human perception about older people shouldn't be doing this, females shouldn't be doing this, triathlons too difficult for people to do. You know, then you had to lose weight, then you had to. There's that courage, and you sort of feelings about your own body and and you know what you described before about going to the swimming pool um so there's all those things as well as starting the training um committing to the training keeping going avoiding injury um filling in the forms to act, taking the courage to enter the race and then having the courage to actually turn up and then present yourself on poolside and do something that filled you with a lot of fear um and then and then you finish the triathlon but a lot of people wouldn't even have had the courage to get to that point. So that, that sort of already elevated you into a, into this, this group of people. Um, and I, again, I, I see a lot of triathletes that have these expectations that, well, I came last or I, you know, I didn't get in the top 10, but, but they're in a top 10 of a, you know, a very special group of people, aren't they in the first place? And we need to, we need to think of that perspective of who we're comparing ourselves against. If, if if we should be comparing at all, you know, there is that phrase about comparison is the thief of joy. Um, right. Oh, I love that. I've never yeah. heard that. Yeah, I love that. Mm. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I think we all, maybe we all don't, but I think it's kind of human nature to compare. And um, for me, and again, then the question is, who are you comparing yourself with? Mm-hmm. And I, in my first 5Ks, that that I was running, I mean, all the fast runners w- would run past me. And I like to visualize them in my mind with um with the the 10, 20 pound bags of ice on their bodies. And, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking if 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 the if it was an even playing field and they <laughs> had to carry the 20, 20, you know, the 200 extra pounds, I'd probably be beating them. And I would, I would think, okay, you know, it's just not a, a even playing field. But then I also would think um, more often just that, you know, I was there and I was, I was beating everybody who was still at home in their jammies drinking coffee, mm-hmm. you know, and that I was, I may be the last one over the finish line, but compared to everybody that was age 60, I was beating a lot of people that hadn't even gotten to the finish, the start lines. So, so yeah, but then I think a, a healthier way to look at that is what you just said, you know, why do we compare ourselves to others to just focus on me and what I want to accomplish and, you know, just to put others out of my mind. So yeah, that's a better way to look at it, I think. Yeah, I uh, I remember being at um, a race once and um, there was a couple of girls at the back of the race, quite large girls that were running and they were having a nice time. They were chatting away and, you know, they'd put on a little fancy costume with some bunny ears and they were giggling away and um, they, they were near the last finishers and uh, there weren't many people hanging around. And I, I remember hearing this guy saying, well, look at those two big lasses. Um, oh. you know, doing that race. And I, I couldn't help myself. As a Yorkshireman, I feel compelled to share my opinion at times, and I couldn't help myself no. on this occasion. And I said to this bloke, listen, mate, they've 
actually got out there and done it. And meanwhile, you're stood here criticising them. So who actually do you think is, you know, <laughs> showing the best example there? And it's not you. And he went, yeah. oh, yeah, oh, right, and off he went in a bit of a huff. But, you know, I just couldn't I just couldn't let him get away with it because they were out there doing it and they were having a good time. Yeah. You know, that was the biggest reason why I almost didn't do my first 5K is I thought that I remember telling my son, yeah, but, you know, everybody's going to be pointing at me thinking, what's the, what's the obese person doing out here? And uh-huh. I remember being embarrassed to go buy running shoes because I thought the clerk was going to say, why is she buying running shoes? Uh-huh. So, yeah, I think that, that, you know, we make a lot of judgments about people and that's just uh-huh. not, not cool. And then, but on the other hand, I can also tell a story about my first triathlon where I was dead last. I was, I think, 20 minutes behind the second to last person. And as I came across the finish line, here is this one guy clapping, clapping, clapping for me. And I I mean, he made me feel like I just won the Olympics. I mean, it just mm-hmm. I to think that somebody would clap for me doing something physical was just unbelievable. So I actually found that guy like seven years later and thank wow. him. I was able to figure out who it was. Yeah. yeah when, I mean, he changed he changed my life. You know, just just from that one little random act of kindness. When when we uh, I work at a, a series of events called the Outlaw, which are um, half and full distance triathlons in the UK. And one of the things, and I'm one of the announcers, and one of the things we try to do at the finish line is, you know, somebody's always got to be last. Often it's um, the old. It's often it's the older athletes, but we don't want them to feel like oh, we're all just hanging around waiting to go home. So you know, so hurry <laughs> up. Um, we get even though a lot of the spectators have gone, we get all of the spectators that are left. We get all of the volunteers. We get anybody that's there, all the medical crew and everything, and we get them to not not stand behind the barriers, but come onto the finish line and form a wall of honour and give them a big cheer as they come home so that they get That's the special so feeling cool. at the earlier finishes. And every time we get emails from people saying, oh, you, you know, you guys made me feel so special there. I was thinking I'll be the last and you'd all be wanting to go home. Um, yeah, but yeah, you need to, it's important to celebrate those folks as it is to celebrate the person crossing the line first. Yeah, yeah. I'm just laughing because at my second triathlon, you know how they have a a police car or a motorcycle that will lead the first the first person. They this triathlon they decided that all the emergency vehicles would would escort the last person across the line. So I'm running across the line. Here's fire trucks behind me and ambulances and police cars and all their sirens are going. And it was just yeah, I felt very celebrated that day. That was a lot of fun. Well, I don't so know I if you. It's really cool. I think it's cool that you do that. That's that's awesome. I don't know if you've been over to Hawaii to watch the World Championships, but Mike Riley and the commentary team and all the rest of the organisers. I mean, you know, the last finishers. There, I'm sure that there are some people who sit at an aid station, trying to sort of push themselves further back down the field so that they can be the last one across because they get, you know, they get everybody's waiting there at the finish line. The winners have come back to the um, back to the finish line. All of the staff are there. You know, it's like a huge party going on for this final group of finishers. Uh, that are coming across <laughs> nice. yeah, it's, it's an amazing experience so your first triathlon then that did you say that was three four five years after you started losing weight or a bit later on uh that was in 2013 so it was one year after the restart oh, of losing okay weight. okay and then um after that first race did you cross the line like most people say never again or did you immediately get infused <laughs> and think oh i can't wait to do the next one 
I drove home, got on my computer and registered for the next one. Wow. Brilliant. And what, <laughs> I was, and what, I was yeah. And what was that next one then? Was it something that was local or did you sort of no, force yourself yeah, to travel was, a bit? It was still a local one. I did local ones for the first year. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, at what point did you realize that you weren't going to come last? <laughs> so, so on the local ones, there were, there were very few women, my age group. Um, and a lot of times I would be first in my age group because I was the only one, but that qualified me, even though I was the only one qualified me for the national championship. So I went there in my second year, I went there more as a spectator, just because I wanted to see the, the fastest triathletes in the country. Um, but I figured when I was there, I might as race. I looked up the times before and I thought I would come in second to last based on the previous year's times. So, so yeah, so I raced that and, um, there were, I think 40 women in my age group and I came in middle of the pack. Oh, okay. Um, and then I, yeah. And then I thought, man, if I could come in middle of the pack without really committing to my training, mm-hmm. what would happen if, which tends to be the start of a lot of my my adventures is what would happen if mm-hmm. uh, I really really committed and that's when I went home and asked my coach to train me like an elite and and then the following year after t- trying to train like an elite um, this is another like life changing event I met my second national championship um, and in the middle of the swim, it was a mass start and we were all swimming towards the same buoy. So we were all converging on each other. And I was swimming along and my, my, and we we're all like squished. My ribs are rubbing against somebody else's ribs. And, you know, and I'm swimming along and my arm comes down smack dab in the middle of this other woman's back. And I'm thinking, now what do I do? I mean, in, you know, in real life, I, if I, bumped into somebody on the street I'd step back and say oh I'm so sorry you go Mm -hmm. right ahead but I'm thinking I really want to beat her to the buoy and so I just kept my arms going around and in that process I shoved her underwater (laughs) and I swam over the top of her and then I thought oh my gosh I really love that feeling (laughs) it's this there was just something primal and animalistic about getting to the buoy before she did and um, and then for the rest of the race, I was horrified because I'm thinking, what can a monster loose inside of you that you shoved this woman underwater and you enjoyed the feeling of dominating? And yeah, it was really scary. And when I got home, I talked to my coach and and I said, I think we have a problem. There's a monster inside of me. I just shoved this woman underwater. And I, I really liked it. And and he just laughed and he said, he said, Sue, that's the competitive spirit that we said, that's what we want. And mm-hmm. he said, I'll know that on the street, you're not going to shove someone down and walk over them, you know, but, but when you're, everybody's on a mad dash for the, for the first buoy and you want to get your line into the turn and not, you know, have, you have other people bump into you. He said, that's what you do. You weren't trying to shove her underwater. You were just trying to get to the buoy. And that happened in the process. And so he he assured me that my competitive spirit was an okay thing. <laughs> so, and I I am I'm a different person when I get on the course. I just I just want to I just have that competitive drive. Wow. So maybe it's... I am a monster. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't I don't think so. But it's great that at least you've got chance to see what that other side is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so t- tell me about your training now. Then. 
because obviously it's evolved over the years and uh, yeah. even though you were training like an elite i guess it's still um as as you've lost weight and improved in your aerobic fitness and your strength then you've been out you've you've had the capacity to take on a bit more training yeah so um Actually, I, I love doing this so much. I took an early retirement so that I could, you know, totally commit. And um, I went to uh, different, my, my coach that I'd had it for eight years, and I decided it was time for me to make a coach change. And I started working with some elite um, coaches who had coached Olympians. And the first thing they did was to say, okay, we're training twice a day. And um, I didn't know how to manage that well. I think I thought I was going to die in the beginning. And um, then it was Bobby McGee who said, okay, you need to think about this as two training sessions. And there's there's a recovery in between them. And so mm-hmm. now it's train, have lunch, take a nap, and then train again. And then I have to make sure that my recovery at night, that I'm getting enough sleep, that I'm supporting all of that. And, and then... Um, you know, Darren Smith, the first thing he said to me it, when he started working to me was that you have to do self-care. And he literally taught me how to massage my my shins after my run workouts and to make sure that those muscles were, you know, not going to be a problem. And um, yeah, so so training now is, you know, I'm training um, twice a day uh, with a nap in between. Um, and then I have Sundays off. That's that's really important to me just to recover mentally. So on Sundays, I don't think about triathlon. My husband and I will be normal people and, um, you know, we do normal life things. And then the rest of the week, I train. So you mentioned your husband there and you mentioned your, uh, is it was it Harper, your granddaughter? My Harper, my granddaughter, yeah. Okay. So um, you, you and you've mentioned your family a couple of times. They've... They've observed this journey. I've obviously they've been part of it, but they've also been observers. How do they feel about this sort of different Sue Reynolds that they now have in their lives? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I think they're just really proud of me. Um, you know, I, I read stories about people who've lost a lot of weight and their spouses have a difficulty adjusting to them as thin people and. I'm very, very blessed. My husband loved me when I was obese and he loves me this size too. So it doesn't really matter to him what size I am. Um, my children, I think, are really proud. My grandkids, oh my gosh, but my my granddaughter, a, a different one, Caroline, she took me to school for Grandparents Day and she mm. was introducing to me to her her teacher and she said this is my grandma she's usa <laughs> and that's all you know just she just knew it and she you know i gave her one of my medals and from worlds and she you know she has a special place and wow. so i think they're very very proud uh, they worry about me sometimes um mm-hmm. as as you know you know in endurance sports when you're coming in the at the end to the finish line you've been exercising for a while and mm-hmm. you turn you turn up the heat maybe, you know, six minutes prior to the finish line. And then you push like crazy the last hundred meters and I'll come across the finish line and I'll just barely be able to stand up. And sometimes I don't stand up when I, after I finish. And, you know, I, I had to talk with my kids about how that was okay, that I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, doing the, the old lady was not going to hurt her body. And, 
Um, and we had, you know, some discussions between my husband and in the very beginning and my doctor, where my doctor could say, this is normal. Sue's just tired, you know, that when she's mm-hmm. falling down at the end and that it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with her body and this is not damaging her or is it at risk for her. So, yeah, but they've been very, very supportive, uh, especially my husband, um, my my fellow triathletes call him Saint Brian because he's just <laughs> always there for me. Yeah, I'm very very blessed. I, I think sometimes as as triathletes, um, we're under the misconception that tri- triathlon training is healthy for us because we exercise a lot, and it's probably not. It's it's sort of on the other side of that bell curve, isn't it? From being 335 pounds is definitely not healthy for you. And then you go through that whole bell curve of I'm exercising, I'm losing weight and, you know, and my heart's getting stronger and I'm easy, able to breathe and I can put my own shoes on. And then you go down the other side. And But if I was going to have to make a choice, I know which side I'd be wanting to go to. Yeah. And it's it's all just about being smart on both sides, you know, mm-hmm. that there was, I mean, I know we met through an introduction from Precision Hydration and um, I was an ambassador for them for a while. But even though I pay close attention to hydration. Um, I did a, a training run, unfortunately, on an isolated country road in the heat, and I miscalculated my hydration and passed out mid-stride in, in that run. Um, ended up with kidney failure, and I was in the hospital for three days. I mean, it was nasty, but I had not made good decisions. Um, I was so intent on performing the interval that I ignored every single warning sign. You know, I ignored my body saying, this hurts. I ignored the fuzziness. I ignored the staggering in the interval in the rests and just kept pushing. And that was so stupid, you know? So I think it's just, you can do both sides healthy, but you have to make good decisions. And and in that situation, I did not make good decisions. Yeah, well, you've made plenty of other good decisions, haven't you? As, as you've just explained to us. Um, Tell us about the book then. We mentioned it briefly. The Athlete Inside is about the transforming power of hope, tenacity and faith. And you mentioned those three a little bit earlier. Um, can you just can you just give us a little elevator pitch for your book so that folks are thinking, oh, I'm going to go and read that? Yeah, so um, I so many people have said to me, you should write a book. And um, I never thought of myself as a writer and I don't really think of myself as being like an incredibly interesting person. So the, the idea of writing a book was just, I don't know, I wasn't going to go down that road, but on a whim, I went to a writer's conference with 400 people that were pitching their manuscripts to, um, to book agents. And I didn't have a manuscript. I just, when it was my turn to meet with the agent, I just said, I just want to you know pitch an idea. Is it even worth my time to read the book, to write the book? And she said, yeah, it's worth your time. And I, I want to give you a contract right now. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, my mouth fell open. I, there were 400 people there. I was the only one that got a contract. And I said to her, what if I can't write? And she said, we'll find you, you know, we'll get you some help. But um, it ends up that, um, you know, I, I, what I wrote ended up having very little editing. So I learned that there's a writer inside of me too. But, um, but yeah, so I wrote the book because I wanted to help people think about what's possible in their lives if they have a dream, a transformation dream, and they do just tiny steps over time Mm -hmm. that anything is possible. You know, I, 
and so the book starts out talking a little bit about my weight loss journey and then how I transitioned into athletics and then what it meant to be coachable. It follows the relationship between my coach and I um, that at times, most of the time was 99% of the time was wonderful, but there were also times when, you know, he would stand in front of me and say, why did you do this? And he was 27. And I remember thinking, I am 65 and you are 27 and you're scolding me. And I would just, it would just me up and he'd be like scolding me and I'd be laughing. And it was just, so there's a lot of humor in the book too. I I think I've been told. Um, and then it ends with my, my second world championship where I play sixth in the world. So yeah. And then, and then there's a faith part, part to it too. Um, that was an, an unexpected part of my journey. Um, but when I lost about 90 pounds, just everything just seemed like surreal to me, like who loses 90 pounds and, and it, it, and, and people were being so nice to me. And it was, I felt like I was just being bombarded with kindness. I mean, people were just so nice and just finally the, for me, the light bulb went off that, um, maybe God was trying to get my attention and that that was happening through, uh, the weight loss and then all this kindness. And I started to see, see people's kindness as the face of God. Um, and I started thinking about how I could be the face of God for others. And yeah, so like, I'm not a praise be to God person, but, um, I, I think that God definitely had something to do with my journey. And, um, my coach taught me that we all can be disciples, um, everyday disciples. And, um, he was the first one that I talked to about this, these thoughts that I had that maybe God had been part of all of this. So, so yeah, so that's, it's very, I don't think I mentioned God until chapter five or chapter six. It's just kind of very subtle in the book. Because mm-hmm. um, again, I didn't, I'm not a preachy person and I didn't want to preach, but I just wanted to tell my story. And that was, you know, that was part of my story. And if it speaks to people, fine. And if it doesn't speak to people, that's fine too. So, yeah. So, wow. so yeah. So, What's the books available on Amazon? Um, it's kind of been interesting to me. The price, like every month, changes, and some months it's five dollars, other months it's one month it was two dollars. I don't know why. So, but it just fluctuates all the time. And then all the proceeds um, we're donating to USA Triathlon Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, and then the funds are earmarked to help people with disabilities uh, wow. participate in in sports. So. So yeah, so hopefully when people get the book, they're, you know, they're reading a, a a story that will have messages that they can take into their lives, but then also they're supporting a really, really good cause. So wow. well, we will put uh, a link to that in the show notes so that folks can <laughs> go and get a copy and participate in that sort of sharing and fundraising. Um, so what's next? I mean, you've packed an awful lot into the last few years, and it's, <laughs> by the sounds of it, you've got still got a high load of energy to uh, yeah. to use up. So What's 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 coming up in 2024, and what, and what have you got on the the radar for beyond that? Yeah, well, I just I just love the journey, and so when I think about what's next, it's just like it's just like the process, doing what I'm supposed to do every day, and um, to me, that's the fun part of this. And then we see, you know, what the outcomes will be. My big races for next year, I've qualified. I'm not sure exactly yet which ones I'm doing, but I've qualified for um, 
the standard distance and the sprint distance and the super sprint, although I don't think there's going to be a super sprint at Worlds. Um, and then the mixed relay and the aqua bikes, um, all at all at 2024 Worlds. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to do the standard um, after that. I'm not sure which other races I'll do, but it's just a matter of, you know, doing what I love to do every day and, you know, checking all the boxes and um, hitting my nutrition. I mean, that's really the process to me is the part that I love and just the experimentation and the curiosity of like, I'm working with this new coach, Daz Smith. And my curious question is, if I do what Daz asks me to do every day, you know, where will this take me? And I'm just really curious about that. And so the immediate plan is to just do what I'm asked to do every day and to be a good partner with my coach as we explore and discover. And Darren will love the fact that it's process orientated and not outcome driven, won't he? Yeah. 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 And I feel very blessed that that I have that approach. It's always been my approach is that mm. I love the discovery part of, you know, to me, triathlon is just a big puzzle. Mm. And it's the discovery part of trying to figure out the parts of the puzzle to, that will eventually result in speed. So, that's in, yeah. That, yeah, that's interesting, actually, because my um, a previous guest, um, well, actually, I, I spoke with two of them. They were husband and wife, but they mentioned the idea of it being just a huge, big jigsaw puzzle. And, yeah. you know, you end up with this piece and you think, well, where the hell does that go? And then you put it down again. And then a bit later on, you think, oh, that's the piece that goes in here. Um, but and sometimes you have the right piece, but you, you don't know what its purpose is um, until a yeah. bit later. But you're still searching through all the other pieces in in. But but you have to do it with a process in order to, um, and that's the fun part for me. I like doing jigsaws in in the winter when the nights are shorter and the you know um, feels a bit cozy with a glass of wine, putting pieces together and going through the process. I think when coaches have that um, that approach, I think it makes it more enjoyable for the athlete as well. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I wrote about in the book was my my first coach and I had to have some discussions because he was really outcome focused and mm. he certain outcome that he wanted me to to hit at, at nationals and that put a lot of pressure on me. Um, so he and I had some discussions about that and you you mentioned Darren's love of process. I I've been so like impressed that when I went to Worlds even um, last year. Darren never talked about outcome. When I finished the race, he never asked me where I placed. Mm-hmm. It was just, how did you execute? You know, and we looked at the execution and the things that I could control rather than the things that I couldn't control. And as an athlete, that just, I mean, being asked to be responsible for things that I can't control, like where I place, which depends <laughs> on what other people do as well as how I do. Mm-hmm. Um, that just, that's, that's, a, I just, that, puts an expectation that I can't guarantee a delivery of where when you ask me to execute well, I can, I can do that. So I can make that happen. And I, and I don't mind being held accountable for that. So I want to be held accountable for that. So anyway, yeah, process, I think is important. No, I love that about executing. And I think even if you talk to elite, elite athletes who've won multiple championships, they'll tell you that they probably only had a handful of perfect races where they executed everything well. And sometimes um, their victories were quite ugly, but they just got the job done. Um, and, And sometimes the sweetest races were the ones where they just got everything right, but somebody got it better or went faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, I love that thing I crave, I think, is that feeling when one is going across the start line. I love start standing at the start and just feeling totally calm, knowing that I prepared well and that it's out of my hands now. I just have to go execute. And then I love at the finish line 
crossing that finish line and just feeling that satisfaction that I did everything to the best of my ability. I may not have been perfect. I may have made mistakes, but I did everything to the best of my ability. And I learned from the mistakes that I made. And what, what more can you ask for than that? That's like perfection. I mean, not mm-hmm. perfect. It's, it's the perfect feeling at mm-hmm. the end. Know that you, 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 you executed well. And when you didn't, you learned, I mean, that, yeah, it's all about the next race. And what can you learn from the next race? I think that's a conversation that I now have with athletes is look, my job's to get you to the start line in the best shape possible. After that, mm-hmm. it's sort of more in your hands, what happens and the hands of the other people and, you know, everybody else who's controlling the weather and uh, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, my job's that. to get get the start. And I go back to what you said right at the beginning, the start line's the victory really, isn't it? Getting to the start line in great shape is is the victory. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sue, it's been fascinating and fabulous and amazing to chat with you. So um, appreciative of your time today. And uh, I, hope, I hope the listeners enjoy listening to this conversation as well. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure for me too. And I, I think you and I could probably talk for a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> pretty you. sure we could. Yes. <laughs> next, next time I'll have to come over to your side of the pond and we can do it over a coffee. All right. Sounds good. I'm up for that. Well, Sue, thank you so much. Good luck in 2024. Um, maybe we can encourage you to come over to the UK and uh, participate in an outlaw event one day. That'd be fun. Take care. Thank Bye you. now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Sue for being my guest on this week's show. I really enjoyed chatting with her, and I think if time had permitted, we could have chatted all day. Now, if you've been wondering where there's an athlete in you that could do a triathlon, I hope that Sue's story inspired you to fill in the entry form and commit to getting on the start line. Now, to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and click the subscribe button. And if you have time, we'd love it if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that really helps with our ranking. Now that triathlon season's over, you might also have turned your thoughts to 2024 events, whether you're a first-timer or a seasoned age grouper. And with that, you might be thinking about how you're going to prepare for them. So please let me tell you about our SWAT Inner Circle. We have training plans to cover not just your winter training schedule, but as the season approaches, we can provide you with race plans for a whole range of triathlon events from sprint right up to Ironman and ultra distance running. We cover everything from cycling, swimming and all other forms of multi-sport and our doors are currently open for new members and you'll get triathlon coaching plus a whole lot more for just £30 per month. You can find a link in the show notes below and if you've got any questions just email me simon at thetriathloncoach.com and I'll get back to you. Please also make sure you check out the show notes for links to all of the things we covered in today's podcast. That's all for this week. Next week, I will have another great guest and I hope you'll be there to join me. 